Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Haunted Ride. I'm your host, Melissa, and thank you for joining me today. So I hope you have your tea and your snacks, and I can barely contain my excitement because I'm a little bit of an idiot in where I was pretty sure we were pretty close to 10,000 downloads in March if we hadn't already gotten it. But because I had switched hosts and switched tracking software because my old host didn't have one at all, um, it's always been really confusing to get everything together because I've had to, I have to pull from three different sources in order to get everything together, do some calculations because one overlaps the other and it's a whole thing. And so when I did it the time before in March, I was less than the 10,000. So I didn't say anything or, you know, put out a celebration or anything because I was, I still had, according to my figures, about 2,000 to go. It turns out I was wrong. <laughs> um, one of the things that was saying it counts something doesn't, so I had to pull it from something else, and it was a whole thing, and it was ridiculous, but I got it all together last night, and it turns out that we not only hit 10,000, we passed it, and you guys, you guys are blowing my mind. That means so much to me that you all really love this podcast. Like, I know that people do because I get emails. I have stories to read for you guys today. Um, I see it when people go and they check out a post on the website, no matter how silly or how long it is. I see it when people interact on social media. So I know that you guys like the podcast and, that, and that's amazing, but it's so surreal. So just from the bottom of my heart, because I don't say it enough, every every episode, I really should have changed the name of this podcast to the thank you ride because I'm constantly thanking you guys for stuff but I have to because if you weren't here I would just be talking into dead space which is what I do when I record this podcast but in the hopes that someone else out there is going to listen <laughs> so just thank you guys so much I really appreciate every single one of you you guys are amazing now before we get into stories to make sure that I cover everything because we have so many things that we do now. <laughs> um, if you can, subscribe to the podcast. Um, write in a review if you are so able to and would like to or rate the podcast. Um, if you want to send in a story, you can go to thehauntedride.com and send us your story. Or you can email it. I get a lot of people who just email it, which is fine with me too. Um, and that's at thehauntedride at gmail.com. Um, we have services. We have a paranormal and spiritual advice service, which is basically me just attempting to help you as much as possible. I now have a couple more people signed up for that. And it, it really makes me feel really good to be able to supersede what I thought this podcast was going to be and actually be able to like help other people um, and be able to actually like intimately converse with you and be able to share anything that I can that might help you or even just be like an open ear. Like sometimes that's all people really need. I mean, that's why I created this podcast was with the knowledge that people need an open platform to share their stories. And now essentially what this has become is you have a public open platform and now a private one too. So I think it's really great and I really like it and it makes me really happy and I'm happy that it's helping other people. I think that's it. Oh, we have a Patreon episode coming out because... uh. Again, as I quoted earlier, sometimes I can be a little bit of an idiot in <laughs> where normally I try to record the Patreon episode in the middle of the month on Saturday, but I don't know this, like I've been doing so many different things and 
working on so many different things and I've been doing all this stuff and forgetting what day it is, which the 15th would be tomorrow. So really the episode should have come out uh, yesterday. It didn't, alas, but we're going to fix that. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's all I've got for you guys as far as like business stuff goes. We are going to listen to a promo. One of the most wonderful things about podcasting is the people that you meet. And I've talked about this person a lot on the podcast. Uh, they've been really great. And so I'm really excited to be able to share their promo. So without further ado, we'll get into the promo and then we will get into some awesome ghost stories. See you guys in a second. Have you ever wondered what draws certain people to stories and places filled with mystery or fear? Why some seem to experience things just beyond the explicable, be that considered paranormal or supernatural? If you ask me, or even my grandmother, we'd tell you there's definitely a thread that ties these people and circumstances together, something more than simple chance. I'm Jennifer, and I host Haunted Happenstance, a creepy and quirky little story set in a historic residence in Boston, Massachusetts. You see, I've always loved a good ghost story. And as it turns out, ghosts have always loved me too. Convenient? Maybe. Coincidence? Perhaps. But I think it's a bit more than that. Let's see if you agree. Join me and my neighbors for some truly spooky tales that can only be explained as haunted happenstance. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or everywhere you listen to your podcasts. Okay, and we're back. And if I can stop myself from talking a mile a minute, because I'm still super excited, <laughs> we can get into some ghost stories. So the first one is from Nikki. Thank you, Nikki, for sending this in. I'm super excited to read it. I've read bits and pieces of it, like, randomly, so I'm, I'm really excited to get into the whole thing. So it says, Hi, I don't usually tell my stories, but I am fascinated listening to others tell theirs. I'm not sure if I would be classified as a skeptic or believer. I think I fall somewhere in the middle. I've had plenty of weird things happen, but I've never talked to anyone about them to see if there could be a reason. I also don't judge others for their stories. Thank you for that. That's really awesome, by the way. It's at least real to them, and I find that cruel to just decide it didn't happen, especially when you weren't there. So I guess I could say I'm open to the idea. Nikki, I already think you're a wonderful human being. So she goes on to say... My first story happened when I was in elementary school. I was in sixth grade, and I just finished the school's babysitting course and babysitting first aid, which is really cool that schools had that because I know mine did not. I was really excited to start watching kids, and it happened that my younger cousin was staying for a few nights to visit my brother. They were both two years younger than I was, but my parents decided to go out on a late dinner and leave me in charge, thinking it would be easy start to babysitting. Everything went pretty smoothly until about 8.30 p.m just when it was starting to get pretty dark outside. I think it was my brother who pointed out the weird noise. It sounded like an animal running around on our deck every few minutes. We could hear it thumping and what sounded like dog's nails making a kind of clicking, scratching noise. Our house was a single-floor ranch-style home that had a large picture window next to the front door looking out to the front yard, and one of our aunt's houses next door. Along the right side of the house was a ramp and a walkway leading to the back of the house and the deck. There is one window looking onto the walkway behind where our couch was, and then the deck disappeared around the back of the house where the kitchen door led out onto the main part of the deck. 
Inside the house, the kitchen and living room were one big open space with a hall leading to the bedroom's bathroom and basement. We all went over to the window behind the couch and tried to see what we were hearing. All we could see was a large dark blur moving pretty quickly past the window off the ramp. Which is scary as hell. Really, really scary. My brother went to the big picture window trying to catch what it was as it moved into the front yard. He still couldn't see it because it turned and went down the driveway towards the road where it turned around and started moving back to the house. Then it turned and ran up the ramp again. I stood at the window behind the couch and still only saw a dark blur. My brother and cousin went to the kitchen door to try and see as it came around onto the deck. My brother said it looked like a bear or a large dog with really weird legs. He said they were long and looked bent funny. I stayed by the window looking onto the walkway trying to get more detail. It passed the window a little slower and I saw that the legs looked like it was a person scrambling around on their hands and feet. What? Fuck. Not the knees. With their knees and elbows bent out so they looked like they were moving sort of like a spider. What the fuck? No. Holy fuck. That's not where I thought this was going. This is not where I thought this was going at all. I have chills all over my body. Fuck no to that shit right there. Okay. Fuck. All right. Okay. Still with only four legs though, not eight. As it was moving pretty quickly, I told my brother it was definitely not a bear. Maybe some sort of deformed dog or coyote. We lived in a very rural area with lots of woods and wildlife around. The next time it came up the ramp, it almost paused by, by the window like it knew I was watching it but kept going. Great. Okay, so it's interactive. Like, it's not an idiot. It's in, So it's not just, like, repeatedly trying to scare the shit out of you. No, it knows you're looking at it. Like, oh, no. <sighs> at this point, I was starting to get that creepy crawly feeling all over my skin and goosebumps. Yeah, I have it too, Nikki. My cousin was starting to cry and my brother was on his way to look out the window with me. On the way back down the ramp and before my brother made it all the way to the window, whatever it was stopped and turned its head towards the window and looked at me. Its head turned like a bird's head, like it swiveled around instead of just turning the neck. What the fuck? Fuck no. Oh shit. Okay. All I caught of the things face were really dark eyes a mouth that was hanging open and moving back and forth like it had no jawbone and really pale almost bluish skin it didn't make any noise and turned and kept moving i still can't believe i made it through that sentence without saying oh fuck i jumped back from the window crashed into my brother and accidentally broke a glass that was on the coffee table i would have too nikki i remember this so vividly and would have thought it was a dream because i get some really strange dreams sometimes except that i still have a scar on my back on my arm from breaking the glass. Shit. After that, we locked the doors and stayed huddled with the TV volume turned up. We heard the thing run up and down the deck and ramp probably another dozen times, but we didn't look out the window again. When my parents got home, they could tell we were scared, but all we told them was some animal kept running onto the deck and it scared us. Oh, shit. I have chills? Fuck no to that shit. Okay, now I'm gonna pause because... Uh, Nikki says that she has two really short stories. Also, I'm super excited about those. But to talk about this, so there's a theory out there that a lot of people think that there's no really um, creepy creatures, like paranormal creatures that run around, like Chupacabra isn't real, Mothman isn't real, blah, 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 and all that stuff. And they say that the reason why we see these things is because, or like stuff like this, where something has its arms and legs fucking bent out, like 
what you would think of in a movie is because in our subconscious, we have like fears and imagery that that will scare us the most. And so entities will see that, I guess, somehow and manifest as that just to freak us out, which I don't have a fear of this. And it still fucking freaked me out. My point is, I don't really believe that's what happened. <laughs> I don't at all. Like I, yes, I do think that entities can see like extremely powerful old ones can see things that would scare us or freak us out or something like that and portray that. Like if it was just on in a movie and we freaked out when we saw this thing in the movie, then and an entity's hanging around, then okay. But clearly if it was running back and forth and running back and forth and not running to anyone else's house, it was clearly trying to get a, get to these children. It was trying to get their specific attention. And it kind of almost makes me like, I'm really happy no one ever opened the door because I don't really know what would have happened. That is such a terrifying image. Like, and the fact that, that you saw it so clearly, Nikki, and everyone else could clearly like hear and, and see this thing moving back and forth so fucking fast. It, it's, it's so creepy. It's so creepy. So I'm so happy that you guys just stayed inside, that you locked the doors. And that you had your TV on and you just stayed with one another. Um, I really said that you never were able to tell anyone that, though, because I wonder if anyone ever saw it on their own and just never said anything either, not wanting to freak you out. Same way that you didn't say anything, not wanting to freak anyone else out. So thank you so much for that story to begin with. And holy shit. <laughs> I have no other words but holy shit. Now on to your two really short stories. After I got married, my husband and I lived in an old Victorian home that was turned into a three-family home. We lived in what was an attic or storage space turned into an apartment for about three years. At this time, my husband worked late shifts getting home at about midnight, and I worked early and got home about 4 p.m. So I was home by myself a lot of the time we lived there. I remember many times going to bed before my husband got home, and I'd be laying there either reading or trying to fall asleep, and I would feel the bottom corner of my bed sink down like someone sat on it. Oh, that's, that's great. I'd always get really still and slowly try to move my legs away from that area of the bed. Nothing more ever happened, but each time my heart would jump when I felt the bed sink. Mine would too. Someone told me that maybe a pet or an animal spirit was laying at the end of the bed. Not sure what I think, but it always made me nervous. Even at the house we live in now, if I am in bed alone early in the morning or late at night, I can still sometimes still feel one corner of the bed sink down. Okay. So, uh, I don't like that. I do not like that it is tangible enough to make a physical indentation in your bed or give you a sensation of a physical indentation in your bed. That's really creepy. I think it's awesome that you can deal with it. Uh, and that you don't get any other feeling from it, like that it's like bad or good or something just makes you nervous. Uh, which I think if anyone saw that, they would get nervous. Like they would get a little anxious because there's nothing there. Clearly, apparently it likes you if it decided to not stay at the Victorian house and stay with you. I wonder if like maybe I kind of could agree with like maybe like a spirit animal or like a old ancestor who's just kind of maybe watching over you or something. But it's still nerve-wracking when something can be so tangible to, to make a physical thing or item change. And it says, lastly, when my daughter was a little over one, we still used the baby monitor because she would get night terror. 
There was a period of about a month or so when she would take a nap that I would hear really strong breathing over the monitor. And the chills are back. The chills are back, Mickey. Like her mouth was pushed up against the other end, which was impossible because we have it mounted up on the wall way out of her reach. I always went in and checked on her, but she was on the other side of the room in her crib. I sit there listening to the weird noise on the monitor, and it would slowly get louder until it sounded like someone was clearing their throat over and over again, and it would stop. We tried different monitors, thinking there was some kind of interference, but they all did the same thing. I put the original back, and after another week or so, it stopped and sounded normal again, and we haven't heard it since. Thank you and hope you enjoy my stories, Nikki. So, yeah, I really enjoyed them. So, was the one that you had there originally, like, I wonder, was it given to you? or something? Or did you like kind of get it on a, at a secondhand store or something like that? Um, and maybe it had something or I mean, I guess there could also be like, typical interference. Like I, I mean, if you think about like a radio, I think like a, about like a radio, like a car radio or something like there can be interference sometimes where it clicks or it bufflers or like, stuff like that. But I don't, I don't see how it would do it so often. Especially clearly sounding like breathing or someone clearing their throat over and over. That's creepy. But I hope that your daughter's night terrors have resolved themselves and she doesn't have them anymore. Because that's really sad. I, I hate when children have night terrors or nightmares or anything like that. So I hope that those have gotten better for her. And I thank you so much for your stories. They were really great and they inspired a lot of chills in my body. <laughs> So if that's what you were looking for, you did an amazing job. <laughs> but thank you so much for your story. So we have another story from someone named Lucy. And it starts off with, hi. Hi, Lucy. So my story may seem a little odd, but let's face it, it's about the paranormal. So I guess that's kind of what you signed up for, right? It is. I take all odd stories, every single one. I don't hold any judgment against any of them, so give them all over to me. I will happily grab them and take them all and hoard them in my little stash of horrors and uh, read them on this podcast. So thank you for sharing your story. My name is Lucy and I live in Wadsworth, London with my mom and dad. I have a brother, but he's now a high flyer uptown somewhere, so I never really get to see him. I digress. My dad has always been interested in ghosts and hauntings and used to tell me spooky stories when I was young. Now I'm older, I leave the storytelling to the professionals, podcasts such as yours. <laughs> Thank you so much. I felt you might be interested in this one because it's not like a lot of other stories that you hear. It's not set in some big creepy mansion or an old asylum. It's set in a nice terrace house on a fairly affluent street, not far from central London. It all started with a knocking door. One night I was laying in my bed when I was awoken by the sound of someone pounding on the front door of our next door neighbor's house. As my bedroom was at the front of the house, I was able to look out and see what all the noise was about. When I got to the window, I could see the front door, but there was no one there. The banging, though, continued, and eventually my dad went out to see what was causing it. As he stepped outside, the banging stopped. I had heard weird tales about the house from a friend of my dad's, but this was the first time I'd experienced something strange for myself. My dad's friend was called Ben, an eccentric old man who had spent his life trying to find proof of the existence of ghosts. Ben would often come around our house and share his findings with Dad. On one occasion, in particular, Ben arrived at the house extremely excitedly. He had just completed an overnight stay at the house next door and was very excited to tell Dad what had happened. Dad wouldn't really let me listen to Ben's stories, as they were too real for my young ears. Anyway, on this occasion, I went against my dad's wishes of going to my room, and as it sat in the hallway listening to what Ben had to say. This was his story. 
Glenn worked for the SPR and was sent to supposedly haunted locations around London. He was very skeptical about the existence of ghosts. At least he was until he spent the night next door. The house next door was owned by a family. I knew that the missus of the family had been left a widow and became a recluse after her beloved husband had died. The house was supposedly haunted by the spirit of her husband and had been reported to the SPR by a removal company whose employee had been too scared of occurrences there to continue with her duties. It was Ben's job to find out if there was any truth to it. This is what I heard him telling my dad he had experienced next door. I tried to write it as if I was Ben using what I've heard him saying. Hopefully you'll see the relevance of the knocking door at the start of this email. I arrived at the house after a brief meeting with the missus earlier in the day. She had graciously allowed me to spend the night at her house without anybody else being present. I locked the door and set myself up in the living room. The house was old and tatty, but fairly welcoming and comfortable. The weather outside was frightful, not rainy, but windy. So, so windy. I had no sooner settled down in the chair when I heard a noise coming from the hallway. At first it sounded like a scraping sound, and then there was a small bang and the sound of glass breaking. I got up and went to see what had caused it. As I made my way down the dark corridor, I saw a frame on the floor. It was lying face down. I picked it up and saw that it was a photo of what I assumed to be the missus. Sadly, the glass had shattered. I couldn't, I couldn't for the life of me work out how this fairly substantial picture had made its way off of the dresser. As I stood there trying to work it out, there was a bang on the door. I can only describe it as a panic bang. It continued as if whoever was out there was desperately trying to get in. I grabbed the keys and unlocked the door. As the door opened, the banging stopped and I was left staring out the empty, windy street. This obviously unnerved me as I closed the door and locked it and returned to the relative comfort of the living room. Nothing much else happened for a while. The knocking at the door had heightened my sense and I was on alert. This was when the light in the living room began to sway, slowly at first but getting quicker and quicker, throwing shadows around the room. This is when I thought I saw her. As the light flickered from side to side, I was sure that in the corner of the room, I could see a figure stood not moving. I knew there was a hat stand nearby, but the lights were confusing my brain so much so that suddenly I felt I was not alone. I grabbed my torch and shone it in the direction of the hat stand, and suddenly it was a hat stand again. I stood on the chair and studied the light. This was much more successful than my attempts to steady my nerves. Luckily, I noticed a decanter of whiskey on the side, which certainly helped. As I sat there drinking my whiskey, I couldn't shake the feeling of being watched. Yes, I know, it's cliche. But I was so sure that suddenly I was no longer alone. This is when I heard the noise upstairs. I was now sure that I wasn't alone. Not joined by a spirit, but instead the missus. She must not have left yet. I was relieved. I could clearly hear footsteps upstairs and was sure it was her. I went out of the room and up the stairs, calling out to the missus. As I reached the top of the stairs, it became apparent that there wasn't, in fact, anyone else in the house with me. All the lights were off and there was no sense of life. I was alone. Now, very scared, I made my way back to the living room. As I entered the room, I was shocked to see all of my notes had been thrown all over the room. Pictures had been taken off the walls. Chairs had been tipped over. Oh, shit. <laughs> enough was enough. I was either the subject of an elaborate prank, or this house was in fact haunted by a malevolent spirit. I sat. The house felt calm, unnervingly calm. I decided to try calling out. I now wish I hadn't. I called out, if there are any spirits here with me, please let yourself be known. Nothing. I tried again. This was when it happened. The silence of the room was destroyed by a nerve-shattering <laughs> scream. The lights swung again. Pictures rattled on the walls and a glass was thrown against the wall. I had had enough. I fled. 
Before I knew it, I was outside on the empty street. The wind had stopped. So this was, just in case anyone is confused, Lucy wrote this as the story that she had heard from Ben, the guy who went over to the house and then came over to tell her dad, like, what had happened. So that's where all the story is coming from, is her memory of what Ben had said and the story he had told. So now this is Lucy speaking. The reason I thought I'd write this down is because my dad has asked my brother, Sam, and I to help clear out the loft of the house next door. Nope. <laughs> no, no, no. Lucy goes on to say, now that it is empty as a favor, and I have to admit to being quite scared, what do you think? Do you think Ben wishes an eccentric old guy that enjoyed telling stories, or do you think that there is any truth in what he said? Have you heard anything like this before? I know there was the weirdness of the banging door, but that could have been the wind, right? Anyway, thank you for reading this. I know I laughed on a bit, but hopefully you found it interesting, and maybe you could use it on one of your excellent podcasts. Kind regards, Lucy. Well, Lucy, don't worry about it. I love how you wrote this. I thought it was amazing. Now, to answer your questions. So, I believe that Ben had this experience. I have a couple of questions, though, about it, because it sort of sounds like he's saying that when he came, like, it sounds like he comes into these places to really just try to figure out if they're haunted or not. And if he thinks they are, then he says something. If he thinks they're not, then that's it. I don't know if he comes or he brings a team or he gets people to come after his findings to try and see if they can clear the space or help the space or anything like that. I have no idea. But I don't really particularly feel like when he calls it a malevolent spirit, I, I don't really think that's what it was. This particular type of experiences that he's talking about are known to be experiences that happen when there's a poltergeist. One of the things that people always talk about when they do paranormal research is that you have to stay there for quite a few nights to really get a lot of activity. He's saying he got all this in one night. I really hope that he then came back and brought someone and said, okay, let's cleanse this space. Let's like get everything taken care of, you know, for anyone else who moves into this, this area because that's a lot of activity. And that's a lot of physical violent activity. There's a whole thought process that if you hear someone banging on a door and you look out and there's no one there, you do not open that door. The thought process is that is the spirit trying to come in. And so if this is happening constantly and he's opening the door or people have opened the door, then they're just letting spirits inside. And now the spirit can go do whatever it is that it wants to do. So in the case of this story, I think that if all these things happened in the small window of time that he's talking about, that this is either a really, 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 really strong pissed off spirit for some reason, or it's a poltergeist. I personally would think it's a poltergeist who's pissed off about something. Either it's pissed off with the woman that he keeps referencing to, which I didn't say her name just in case that's a real name. I didn't want to cause any problems. But the only thing I could think of is, so poltergeists, and I had talked about this on an earlier episode, they are typically thought to be a manifestation of someone's uncleared energy. Normally, for the most part, it's like someone went through something extremely traumatic, such as when you mentioned she, she was a widow. She lost her husband. And so then all of this activity starts happening, and typically it will only be pointed at one particular person, and only that person. So only if that person resides in that space, lives in that space, owns that space, that's where the occurrence happens, something like that, right? So 
I would think that all of this activity would be poltergeist activity. And so the house would need to have a cleansing. She would need to have a cleansing. She should go somewhere and talk about how she's feeling so that she doesn't create this again. Essentially, all really a poltergeist is thought of to be, I mean, it can be, there's a couple different trains of thought, but one of the more popular ones that I've come across more often is the thought process that all it is is a lot of emotional buildup and energy from a traumatic experience that turns around and manifests itself into what you're talking about, a haunting. So I don't necessarily think that he was he was um, making it up or anything like that. Like, you know, the podcast is meant to be a place where people can feel welcome and that any story, whether they are making it up or not, just feels accepted no matter what. If you if someone wants to make it up, you know that's on them. That's not it's not my call to judge whether they do it or not. But I do think that and I hope in this story, because he's talking about all this stuff that happened, that he then had a team come in or did something to the house to cleanse that energy away and to make sure it was gone. So I just hope that when you guys went over to clear out the loft, if you guys still live in that neighborhood, that there hasn't been any more hauntings and nothing else is going on and everything feels okay. And I do hope that everything was sort of resolved and it's like natural state and order. But this was one crazy ride of a story. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Like, I don't, I would not be comfortable with things flying around and breaking and shattering and being moved. Like I said earlier in the other story, I don't like when tangible events happen. Because for a spirit to do something in our physical realm takes a lot of energy. So that's all I really have to say about that. I hope that answers some of your questions. But thank you so much for the story. This is an amazing story. All right, and we have one more story. Now, let me explain how the story came about. So I was asking for spirit animal stories because I was going to mesh it into the episode with Courtney and Andriel where we were talking about spirit animals a lot, and I just wanted other people's stories to kind of bring it all together. But I got the one, and then I looked at, like, how it was broken apart, and I was like, okay, it's already long enough. I'm not going to put this in here. So I've had this story, and I've read it, and I thought it was freaking amazing, and I've been wanting to share it for a while now, and now I can finally do it, so I'm so excited. So this story is from B of Three Fates Paranormal. Um, you guys should definitely follow them. They're amazing. And I will put all their information and stuff in the show notes of the podcast. So if you want to follow them or hear more of what they've done, this is actually from their blog. So they also have a blog, so you can follow that too. I also want to say that I love how this is written because the first thing is, call to your spirit guides, they said. It will be fun, they said. I think that's fantastic. So B starts off to say, well, what they didn't say was what your spirit guides could be. Sure, I was warned that your spirit guides can sometimes be, well, snarky. Which they can. We talked about this last episode. I was also told they can sometimes be too blunt. That's also true. So, of course, when I asked for them to show themselves to me three times, I asked that they do so gently, as I was not sure if I would be able to handle such a blunt reveal. I figured it'd be my grandmother or long-lost dead relative. I've only ever heard of spirit guides from my friends, being either relatives or humans. The occasional spirit animal here or there, but always a cliche, wolf, eagle, bear. I only worried about who my guide would be. I didn't really worry about what animal it could be, and I definitely didn't worry about what type of phobias I had. 
This is getting so fucking good. I would also just like to say that no, your spirit guide can literally be like fucking anyone. You cannot even know the person and that can be your spirit guide. It could be someone from a past life, someone that you affected in a past life, someone that you were in a past life. It can be a spirit animal. It can be a dick. <laughs> it can be anything. So uh, yeah, this is, this is, this is, I'm so excited. Let's say you're deathly afraid of snakes and just walk into your kitchen after an emotional night. It's four o'clock in the morning, you haven't slept in 48 hours, and there, on your kitchen floor, is a full-sized adult garter snake. Stumble past it, not noticing it at first. Too tired and looking to put items away from a late-night trip to the 24-hour supermarket. Which, again, you went at four o'clock in the morning? (laughs) Like, damn. (laughs) anywhere at four o'clock in the morning except back to sleep you head back and notice a rope on the floor suddenly an instinct within you that you didn't even know exists kicks it and you stop staring at the quote-unquote rope your significant other is not far from you and you look at them and go is that a snake feeling silly the coil on the floor looking more and more like one and less and less like anything else you watch your significant other move towards it how did that get in they ask your anxiety kicks in suddenly you're crying and shaking There's now a bucket over the snake and you're grabbing for your keys. You're out of the door in 30 seconds with only one solution. You're going to live in your car for the rest of your life because there are snakes in your house. Obvious solution. (laughs) Yeah, you know, when you you ask for them to appear, they do like to send you signs. (laughs) Okay, maybe that's not the obvious solution for everyone. So after three different people trying to convince my crying, bubbling mess to go back into the house, I surrendered and went back inside it. My significant other caught the snake in a bucket and shoot it out. Everything was over. My snake phobia wasn't even that bad, or at least that's what I thought. However, I was thrown into a situation coming face to face with one. Normally, garter snakes are rather, well, cute, which they are if you guys have never seen a garter snake. Please watch the YouTube channel Snake Discovery. That's my favorite. She has a ton of garter snakes cohabiting with one another, and they're fucking adorable, and they, they are extremely derpy. So she goes on to say they're derpy, legless puppies, not like a cobra, which have those crazy eyes. Garter snakes are like my dog, derpy and slow. <laughs> my home office just started getting renovated. My team and I were in the process of completely starting things over. So the following day, we headed to a home supply store to pick up some paint and, of course, a natural organic snake keep away spray. Tease my mind. It's basically just a mixture of clove oil and a bunch of other EOs that have proven to keep snakes away. We sprayed it around the house, and for some reason, I ran a thin line of it over the radiator I was painting. As I'm painting the wall near the radiator, we get chatting. My sister accidentally lets slip that snake came into the house again while I was asleep. Thankfully, this time, I take it more lightheartedly. I express that I'm upset about them not telling me, and that I'm annoyed that it keeps coming back. As if on cue, the little brown danger noodle begins to slither up out of the radiator I was just painting. (laughs) B, you asked for them to appear. <laughs> I drop the paintbrush and run, o- run over behind my mom. Because even as an adult, I still hide behind my mom. This time I'm more surprised and anxiety filled like the previous. Why does this thing like my house so much? I begin. Then I pause, remembering something important. I had just attended my friend's spirit guide seminar. I had just asked my spirit guides to make themselves known to me three times. Over the chaos of the last few weeks, they hadn't had the chance yet. However, the snake had just finished making itself known to me for the second time when it showed up for the third. 
It's been two years since the Jane Journal showed up, and I haven't had any more experiences with the snake after having shoot it out the third time. The only other mention of a snake in my life has been an intuitive telling me that my snake is my power animal, without having any knowledge of the past events. Which I would also like to say that a spirit animal and a power animal are different. I just learned this the other day thanks to, um, this is where the magic happens. They're apparently, like, really different. Like, so, apparently a spirit animal is thought to be, like, your past life self and an animal. And then your power animal is, like, a guide, which I had never heard, but that's apparently the difference between the two. So, when they're saying that her snake is her power animal, they're not saying that she was ever related to a snake or a past life in snake. Just that a snake is very important for her. So, there's, like, spirit animals, power animals, and totems. And so, that's sort of difference between the spirit animal and power animals and totems just show up in your life to help you get back on track um b goes on to say a snake is my spirit guide i mean i guess it makes sense i'm a follower of dionysus and the serpent is sacred to him both he and his followers are sometimes shown wearing snake crowns and his followers were believed to be able to charm them if that's true hopefully i'm charming them to stay far away from me <laughs> um I really love this email because there's so much like great things and there are so many people ask me all the time, how do I get in touch with my spirit animal? My response is just like, ask them to show themselves. You don't have to do anything else. Typically, a lot of what happens in this whole paranormal world is just you letting your guard down to be able to believe in something. So when you're saying, hey, can you just show yourself to me, please? Like for half a second. What you're really doing is you're allowing that idea to form. And what you're supposed to do when you ask for a spirit animal is you'll notice something that keeps flying by. It might be birds. It may be different types of birds, but birds a lot. And sure, like for instance, in Florida, there are a lot of birds, but you may notice that you seem to be noticing them more often. And that typically means there's something in that. There's something that's trying to happen here. So if you just give it a little bit more attention, that's what's going on. In the same way where in Bee's story, the snake appeared three times. She asked three times. So there's a correlation. And it's appearing and trying to be around her or somewhere she is going to see it. But then other people are interfering or helping her, assisting her to get it out of the house. So it's just trying to like pop up and be like, hey... I heard she wanted to see me, so I'm here. And it's really great that it was a garter snake because, like, if it was that any snake could get in there, there are numerous snakes that would have got in there. You know, that's not the case. It's, it was just simply, she asked and answered. A little bit more scared than she expected. <laughs> so that's all. But that is all I have on the story front for you guys. I'll have, um, some other stuff coming up, but we have a, we're going to have a poll. The poll is going to be about our next mythology episode. So. I'm going to put a link to the poll in the description of the podcast. I'll share it on social media and I'll be on the website. It's going to be the same poll just so that everyone can get to it. And it's just going to be, what do you basically want to hear for our next mythology episode? Cause that's what we're going to have, I believe next week. So take a look at that. Look at the description of the podcast. If you don't mind and you, you want to be able to share your opinion on something that is the next episode of our podcast, you know, just click it and uh, vote. But that's all I have for you guys today, except for the, what I learned this week that I want to share with you guys. So there's actually two things. One I had completely forgot about until I was responding to somebody's email. And 
it came about, I'm going to have to try and see if I can find the YouTube channel that it came from. And she's what she's who sparked it. And so I, I'd like to give her credit for the inspiration if I can. So when I do tarot cards, I read inverted cards. A lot of people don't because they don't like what inverted cards stand for. They'll either just flip them or ignore them and pull out another card or something like that. And for me, that doesn't work in a tarot card reading because tarot card reading is supposed to show you everything. And I think the thought process and the, and the reason why this is a issue is because people look at inverted tarot cards as the opposite of the correctly angled tarot card. So for instance, if a tarot card means love when upright, people might think that it means hate when upside down. I don't see it that way. I think Tarot cards, when they're inverted, they're actually talking to something that we need to challenge. We need to embrace, understand, and move past. They're a fear or something that we just need to try to work to get through because it's impeding our growth, our spiritual growth, or whatever type of growth it is that we're trying to get through. So if the same card for love is inverted, I look at that as I have an obstacle with love. You see what I mean? So that's where I, that's how I look at inverted tarot cards. So I looked at this YouTube video. I did a Google search about what do inverted tarot cards mean? Because I wanted to see what was the general thought process. And I came across this lady on YouTube. And basically what she said was that she agreed that, you know, they're basically just a fear and that you have to have each part of that in your life. Like you, like you don't just have good times. You have bad times too. Like that's what I got from the YouTube video is like, and this is, this is what I love is sometimes like spiritual things where someone might say, okay, well, I'm never going to do a tarot card reading. So why do I need this information? Well, don't just take it in that context. Think about your life. Like we need balance. We need both positive and negative things in order to help us grow. They help us move forward and they help us structure ourselves and balance ourselves and become better than we ever thought that we could be. So you have to know that the fears that you have and you have to acknowledge them. And her important part was that the acknowledge sometimes a simple acknowledgement that you have this fear or this obstacle you need to get through is enough. I mean, that's why there's that phrase that if you have a, a problem or an addiction or something, the first step is to acknowledge that you have it. And tarot card readings, that's the first step. The first step is sitting there down and saying, okay, so you're right. I do have an obstacle in this love. I do have a fear in this love. Like I do need to work through that. And sometimes that's enough. That's also goes back to what we were just talking about with the simple belief of saying, hey, can you show yourself to me? Simply just having a belief, simply just allowing ourselves to kind of step back for a second and acknowledge something's going on. It doesn't have to be like a huge reveal. It doesn't have to be like a huge thing. It doesn't need to be anything like that. Sometimes it's just enough to say, okay, I see this. I acknowledge what's going on. And now let's just move forward. If I need to deal with it, let's deal with it. Let's, let's, let's take some steps towards this, this problem. And the second thing that I wanted to share was I was watching on YouTube again, <laughs> uh, a choreography by Aaliyah Janelle and it was her and some other person. And I like when they do like these little motivational talks to the dancers before they start dancing. And in this particular one, what they were saying was this is not an audition. When you're doing this dance, like, even if this was an audition, if you come up and you don't get picked, 
You can't let that discourage you because you didn't do it for that. You didn't do it just because you wanted to get picked. You did it at the end of the day because dancing is what makes you happy. And you have to remember that at the end of the day, you're dancing for yourself. And I was like, oh shit, that's really powerful. I have a lot of insecurities when I'm doing something, especially creative, because art is subjective. Someone might find something beautiful that you don't find beautiful, including your own artwork. And so that can be really scary. And when I heard that, like, you're doing it for yourself, like, what it, it's kind of like saying, like, what does it matter if that person, like, vibes with it or accepts it or anything like that? What does that matter? It doesn't. Because you didn't work this hard for that person. You worked this hard for yourself. And it's like, whoa, when you sit back and you think about that, when you sit back and you're like, holy shit, like, you're right. Like, I just, I, I work this hard for myself. It's the same thing with this podcast. When I had, I've had tons of insecurities about this podcast and how it was going and how I was doing with it. And if I needed to change something, if I needed to improve something, what could I improve? And you have to think about that when you're doing a podcast. You have to, because as time goes on, you're going to change. And so that means your podcast is going to change. And so I had to sit back and I was like, okay, at the end of the day, why did I start doing this? For me, I did this because in my opinion, this was going to be a good thing. I was going to be able to help people. And in helping people, I was going to feel like I was fulfilling a purpose of my life. And I was going to help other people grow in the same way I was growing. I was going to help other people feel like they could come into something, share their scariest, craziest story that they have, and not feel judged the same way that I don't want to be judged. It was a balance. It was a, I want to project these things out to other people, and I want to accept them for myself too. And that's what happened. And that was enough. That's it. That's all, that's all that it becomes. It's all that needs to happen. Is it needs to be enough for you. That's it. That's, that's why you work so hard. So, when you're scared or you're going into something, especially if it's a project or a thought or an idea or yourself that you've worked so incredibly hard, keep that power for you. Don't let anybody else hold that power because you are a beautiful soul. And the force and energy that you put into this task, that speaks volumes, that creates waves. But you keep that for you. You don't let anyone else take that away from you. Because that's why you started this to begin with for yourself. Because you needed it. And you loved it. And you had a passion for it. And you keep that going. So that's all I have for you guys today. I hope you liked the episode. I adore each and every single one of you. I think you're wonderful people. Take care. Stay safe. Be good to yourselves and others. Love yourselves and love others. And like we always say, don't let the ghost get you. Bye. Bye.